And now, coming to you from an undisclosed location. It's the Novus Ordo Watch Trapcast. You've got to be kidding. You can't make the stuff up. You know, at this point, the vacancy of the Apostolic See is so obvious that the modernist sect needs to employ two fake popes to keep people believing that they have at least one real one. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and enemies, allies and opponents, sympathizers and critics to episode number 29 of Trapcast, the refreshingly informative, entertaining, and even a little bit annoying podcast about real traditional Roman Catholicism, also known as Sedevacantism. What is a Sedevacantist? Well, in a nutshell, a Sedevacantist is simply a Roman Catholic who refused to change his religion after Pope Pius XII died in 1958. That's it. Not terribly complicated. Those who publicly adhere to the new religion of the Second Vatican Council are, by definition, not real Catholics, at least not Catholics in the sense in which that term was understood until 1958. And that is the only sense that rightfully belongs to it. Now, an institution that believes, professes, teaches, and disseminates a religion other than Catholicism can be a lot of things, but it cannot be the Catholic Church, which is guaranteed by God to be the ark of salvation that always teaches the true gospel until the end of time, specifically in the Holy See. Yes, it's possible for individual dioceses, individual bishops, to defect, to fall away from the faith, but that is not possible in the Holy See. The Diocese of Rome, the Holy or Apostolic See, is the one diocese which God has promised will never defect, will never fall away from the faith. That is the traditional Catholic teaching. We can find it, for example, in Pope Pius VII's encyclical Diusatis, where he says, quote, Men should realize that all attempts to overthrow the house of God are in vain, for this is the church founded on Peter, rock, not merely in name but in truth. Against this, the gates of hell will not prevail, for it is founded on a rock. There has never been an enemy of the Christian religion who was not simultaneously at wicked war with the See of Peter, since while this See remained strong, the survival of the Christian religion was assured." Also, Pope Leo XIII writes in his apostolic letter Anum Ingressi, 
strong in the divine assistance and of that immortality which have been promised it, it, meaning the church, makes no terms with error, but remains faithful to the commands which it has received to carry the doctrine of Jesus Christ to the uttermost limits of the world and to the end of time, and to protect it in its inviolable integrity." And I'll give you one more, this one from Pope Pius XII. In an allocution of June 2, 1944, he states, "...Mother Church, Catholic, Roman, which has remained faithful to the Constitution received from her divine founder, which still stands firm today on the solidity of the rock on which his will erected her, possesses in the primacy of Peter and of his legitimate successors the assurance guaranteed by the divine promises of keeping and transmitting inviolate and in all its integrity through centuries and millennia to the very end of time, the entire sum of truth and grace contained in the redemptive mission of Christ." So, the traditional doctrine is pretty clear. And by the way, we've uh, got the links for these quotes in the show notes for this episode, which you can always find at tradcast.org. Just scroll down to Tradcast 29. So anyway, the traditional doctrine is clear. At the same time, it's plain as day that the modernist Vatican has defected, has fallen from the Catholic faith. That's simply beyond reasonable dispute, and I would say even beyond unreasonable dispute. So what do we do with that? Well, the only possible conclusion, that is the only conclusion that does not conflict with Catholic dogma, is that the Holy See has been vacant all this time, and the so-called popes who have occupied the Holy See since basically the death of Pope Pius XII have done so unlawfully and invalidly, meaning they are not true popes but imposters. Now, that may be a shocking conclusion for many, and I know it raises many questions and presents many difficulties, but it's still the only possible conclusion. Or let me be more specific still, and not everyone will agree with me on this, but I don't consider it completely out of the question that there has been a real pope since Pius XII, or even several. But if so, I don't know who that pope or who these popes would be. As far as I can personally tell, there hasn't been a pope since. And no, it's definitely not John the Twenty-Third, Paul the Sixth, John Paul the First, John Paul the Second, Benedict the Sixteenth, or Francis. Now, the people we call the recognize and resist traditionalists or semi-traditionalists are those who insist that all of these supposed popes are valid and legit. It's just that you can't follow them and you can't actually embrace any of their teachings precisely because they're false and dangerous, and even they even constitute a different religion. And then in their argumentation, they try to reconcile that with traditional Catholic teaching and church history, which, of course, always ends in disaster because it's just ludicrous because it essentially reduces the papacy to practical meaninglessness. 
right? Where each Catholic has to figure out the faith for himself, even determining on his own what sacramental rites are acceptable, what saints are genuine. And then when the Pope says or legislates something the Catholic believes is correct and good, then he assents to that and goes with it, else he simply rejects and ignores it. And that's not following the Pope, that's following yourself. And that's basically how Protestantism works, except the Protestants don't bother with even having such a caricature of the papacy in the first place. The post-Vatican II popes in quotation marks, we like to call them popes, aren't even Catholics. So it's impossible that they should be at any point the true and legitimate heads of the Catholic Church. As Pope Leo XIII said in his encyclical Satis Cognitum, Number 15, quote, it is absurd to imagine that he who is outside the church can command in the church, unquote. Now, interestingly enough, whenever they're not arguing against sedevacantism, even the recognize and resist traditionalists, at least in an unguarded moment, will admit that these supposed popes are heretics or apostates. It's only when Sedevacanus point out that there are consequences to heresy and apostasy that the Semitrats suddenly remember that you supposedly need a legal declaration by the competent authority before considering anyone a heretic or an apostate. Let me give you a concrete example. On March 27, 2013, the Recognize and Resist flagship publication The Remnant published an article by Robert Sisko entitled Sedevacantism and the Manifest Heretic. Sisko writes, quote, A pope who merely seems to have lost the faith or who has made statements that are erroneous or even heretical, yet who has not openly left the church or been publicly warned, does not constitute a manifest heretic. And since no such warnings have been given to any of the post-Vatican II popes, either before or after their election, none of them qualify as a manifest heretic. Unquote. Okay, so that's the remnant when arguing against Sedevacantism. You can't say Francis is a heretic because he's not had any canonical warnings. Now, just the other day, on November 19th, 2020, the editor of The Remnant, Michael Matt, sent out a tweet that I happened to see. He's criticizing the fake Catholicism of the former U.S. Vice President Joe Biden. Matt writes, quote, Joe, the Catholic, Biden is an apostate. In other words, he's a product of the modernist hippie revolution in the Catholic Church, unquote. Now, maybe I missed something here, but last time I checked, Joe Biden hadn't openly left the Vatican II Church, nor had he received any canonical warnings from the proper authority. And yet, Michael Matt not only recognizes him to be an apostate, he does not even shy away from publicly saying that he is an apostate. Isn't that interesting? See how this works? These people know very well that one can determine that someone is a heretic or an apostate, namely when that is manifest. And then it's clear that one can also say so out loud, of course. 
Yet there has been no legal declaration to that effect, no warnings, no judgments, no excommunication against Joe Biden, nothing. And yet, Matt calls him an apostate. It's funny how that works. Now, of course, that's by no means the first or the only time that the remnant has labeled people heretics or apostates without them having been declared so, but it is, I think, the most recent example. And by the way, just for the record, that whole premise is wrong. It does not require a legal declaration or a canonical warning to allow others to know that someone is a formal heretic. Although a declaration or a warning may be sufficient to establish pertinacity, they're not necessary. And don't take my word for it. The Moral Theology Manual of Fathers John McHugh and Charles Callan, published in 1958, states, quote, But for formal heresy, it is not required that a person give his assent out of malice, or that he continue in obstinate rejection for a long time, or that he refuse to heed admonitions given him. Pertinacity here means true consent to recognized error, and this can proceed from weakness, for instance from anger or other passion. It can be given in an instant and does not presuppose an admonition disregarded. Unquote. So the point is that the sin of heresy which includes the element of pertinacity, meaning it is not simply a mistake or an inadvertence, but a willful rejection of dogma, that sin can exist apart from a legal declaration or a warning. And if it is public, if it is manifest, then obviously it can be known by other people just like any other public sin. Those are the facts. You know, this whole discussion about whether someone can be a heretic apart from a church judgment reminds me a bit of the abortion debate where the pro-death side will play dumb and argue that the preborn baby isn't a baby or isn't human or we don't know or can't determine that or that it's for the woman to decide, etc. And yet they will only take that position when they're lobbying for or debating abortion. Outside of that debate, in their normal daily lives, they have no problem recognizing the preborn child as a human child. They go to baby showers, they congratulate their friends when they're expecting, they will want to save the preborn baby if the mother gets in an accident, etc. All that assumes, of course, that it is a wanted child, as the sick lingo of our times would have it. Anyway, I just thought this was a, a curious parallel. And no, I am not, of course, suggesting in any way that the recognize and resist traditionalists are pro-abortion or any such nonsense, okay? That should be clear. You wouldn't believe how things get twisted sometimes. I am merely pointing out that in both cases, one side takes a position during an argument that they do not, in fact, follow outside of that debate, all right, let's go through some recent news stories. You know, I come across so many headlines every day that raise eyebrows, and I keep some of the stories specifically for this podcast to go over because they just they just cry out for a little bit more commentary than I can put on Twitter or in a news digest on the blog. And most of them involve Francis, of course, right? Jorge Bergoglio. Now, again, uh, keep in mind that everything I mention here, you can always find 
the links to the stories in the show notes for this episode at tradcast.org. This is episode 29. So if you want to verify anything that I quote here, you can. Let's start with an article from Crux, dated September 14th, 2020. The title, Pope, Compassion for Earth is Vaccine Against Epidemic of Indifference. No metaphor is too corny for this guy. Yeah, yeah, that epidemic of indifference, says the guy who is totally indifferent to the salvation of souls. Oh, sure, he'll talk about sin, especially gossip and stuff like that. He'll talk about sin and salvation with those who already believe in the gospel anyway. But when it comes to those who really ought to be evangelized, such as Eugenio Scalfari, for instance, who is a death store and is an atheist, with those people, Francis likes to talk about fraternity and the environment and world peace. When he visited the Asian nation of Myanmar in 2017, for example, what did he give to its president, who was a Buddhist? A copy of the Four Gospels? An introduction to Catholicism for unbelievers? Not at all. No, he gave him a manuscript entitled Life of Buddha. Even the recipient couldn't believe it. I've got a link to that in the show notes for you. So yes, Francis loves to talk a lot about indifference, but never about indifferentism, the idea that it doesn't matter what religion you are because it's basically all the same anyway. And if there's one heresy in our day that needs immediate extirpation, it will be that one. But of course, Francis is actually its chief promoter, claiming that God wills a diversity of religions. All right, next, let's take a look at an address Francis gave at the Vatican to a delegation of a Belgian weekly newspaper entitled Terzio. This was on uh, September 18th of this year. The portion I want to quote is Francis quoting himself, which he loves to do, from his message for the 54th week of social communications of January 24th, 2020. Here's what Francis said, quote, In the confusion of voices and messages that surround us, we are in need of a human narration which speaks to us of ourselves and of the beauty that dwells in us. A narration which is able to look at the world and events with tenderness, which talks of our being part of a living fabric, which reveals the intertwining of the threads with which we are connected to one another. Unquote. Now, when I first read that, I said to myself, who writes this junk? I mean, seriously, talk about communication. What in the world does that communicate? What substantial content does that transmit? I can't find any. This is not the gospel. It's not theology or philosophy. It's poetry at best. <laughs> and what must the journalists in attendance have been thinking when they heard that? Something about how they need to weave together some human narration of tenderness and beauty or whatever. Well, truth be told, the people in attendance were probably thinking about what Roman pasta dish they were going to have when they got out of there, but it's neither here nor there. 
All right. Um, here's a news article from LifeSite, November 27th, 2020. The title, Pope Francis Doesn't Mention Jesus, in New York Times op-ed calling for better, different human future. Yeah, well, that's because he doesn't care for a future with, by, or for our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants a future with Masonic liberty, equality, fraternity, with dialogue, encounter, and all that jazz. Our Lord is used by this fake Pope only as a sales gimmick to get Christians to jump on his ideological bandwagon. And since he can't use our Lord with an interreligious audience, such as the readership of the New York Times, he omits mention of him altogether, kind of like he did when he visited the United States in 2015 and gave a speech before Congress. Did he mention Christ? Of course not. That might divide people. Of course, he doesn't mind dividing people at other times and other contexts, but that's beside the point now. No, Francis didn't mention our Lord. He mentioned Moses, because, of course, he knew that Moses would be acceptable not only to Catholics, but also to Protestants, Jews, and Muslims. That New York Times piece, by the way, is not something Francis wrote specifically for that paper. It's rather an adaptation from his new book called Let Us Dream, The Path to a Better Future. The text printed in the New York Times, which, in case you're not aware, has long degenerated into an extreme left-wing rag, that text could have been written by someone of any religion, really. Well, <laughs> except Catholicism. Because it, it is all just generic lowest common denominator stuff drenched in Bergoglio's typical chicken soup for the soul spirituality that we've come to expect from him. It is thoroughly naturalistic. There's nothing supernatural in it, and it might as well have been written by a Freemason. Well, I, I guess it was, actually. In any case, I would characterize that article as a blend of naturalism, poetry, and psychology. And for Francis, that's par for the course. But it cannot nourish the soul. It is spiritual junk food. No, no wait, no, that's not fair to junk food. I retract that. It's poison, actually. Much worse than junk food. And you know what? I guess there is a scrap of the supernatural in that New York Times piece after all. Francis does mention God once. He claims... Quote, God asks us to dare to create something new, unquote. And then he goes into all the things that have to change now because of COVID. And see, there he goes again. Yeah, so he does mention God, but to what purpose? Only to drum up support for his garbage naturalist ideology, to get those who believe in God to join him in his cause. In other words, he hijacks God, so to speak, and makes the Almighty into an advertising character for his ideas. The reference to God is entirely self-serving for him. Talk about proselytism. So God is supposedly asking us to dare to create something new. Well, to that I can only say, oh really? Where and when did God reveal that? This is just one of those typical statements that Bergoglio likes to make 
that are simply pulled out of thin air, but because he asserts them firmly and acts as though they were indisputably true, they nevertheless have great persuasive power. Right? He makes these unfounded claims, affirms them dogmatically, and then proceeds to treat them as indubitable premises from which he then draws conclusions. His new encyclical Fratelli Tutti is full of gratuitous quasi-dogmatic statements like that. Such a tactic is super dangerous. All right, so Francis wants you to dream. Dream about a better future, a perfect world, paradise on earth. Our blessed Lord, by contrast, had a different message. Stay awake and watch, because this world is passing away quickly. Let's look at St. Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. Christ the Lord warns his disciples, quote, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day or hour no man knoweth, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Even as a man who, going into a far country, left his house, and gave authority to his servants over every work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the Lord of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming on a sudden he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Unquote. That's Mark 13, verses 31 through 37. Now, our Lord said this 2,000 years ago when he knew, of course, that the end of the world wouldn't come for at least the next 2,000 years. So, just remember this. While Francis wants you sleeping, dreaming, and all that, the Son of God, whom he did not mention in the New York Times, wants you watching and waiting lest you be excluded from the kingdom of heaven, our true and eternal home. Goodness, there's so much more to go over. Uh, for example, on November 30th, we saw Francis in his role as social justice warrior. In a video message to judges who are members of the Committees for Social Rights in Africa and America, Bergoglio claimed, quote, No sentence can be just, nor can any law be legitimate, if what it produces is more inequality, unquote. Now, that is just idiotic. This little Marxist devil deliberately confuses justice with equality, and then he confuses the consequences of a judgment with the judgment itself. It's outrageous. First of all, justice and equality are two very different concepts. Justice is rendered when someone receives what is his due, that is, when he is given what is owed him. That is justice. Equality is simply sameness. So if a poor man owes $100 to a rich man, the court will have to judge accordingly. Now, the result of that judgment may create even more inequality, right? The poor man and the rich man will be even more unequal. But that doesn't mean the judgment isn't just. 
It simply means that the rich man is owed something by the poor man, and therefore it is just for him to be paid what he is owed. The Moral Theology book we referred to earlier by Fathers McHugh and Callan says the following regarding justice. Quote, Justice gives what is due to others neither more nor less. Thus, a debt of $10 remains the same whether the debtor is rich or poor, whether the creditor needs it or not. Unquote. That's from number 154A, if you want to look it up. Now, one may hope that the rich man will forgive the poor man his debt, but that has nothing to do with the justice of the judgment. That would be a matter of charity, not of justice. In 1903, Pope St. Pius X issued the apostolic letter Fin dalla Prima Nostra, and in it he summarized Catholic teaching on the social question. Listen to this, quote, Human society, as established by God, is composed of unequal elements, just as the different parts of the human body are unequal. To make them all equal is impossible and would mean the destruction of human society. The equality existing among the various social members consists only in this, that all men have their origin in God the Creator, have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, and are to be judged and rewarded or punished by God exactly according to their merits or demerits. Hence it follows that there are, according to the ordinance of God, in human society, princes and subjects, masters and proletariat, rich and poor, learned and ignorant, nobles and plebeians, all of whom, united in the bonds of love, are to help one another to attain their last end in heaven, and their material and moral welfare here on earth. To heal the breach between rich and poor, it is necessary to distinguish between justice and charity. There can be no claim for redress except when justice is violated." Unquote. And yet Francis wants you to think that justice in judgment is dependent on an equality of consequences. That is incredible. And that wasn't even the first time he'd said it. He'd already told the same thing in his prior year's address to the same judges, saying, quote, there is not justice when there is inequality, unquote. And that was on June 4th, 2019. Next, we come to an article published by the French La Croix International, and that one really takes the cake. Now, you have to understand first that La Croix International styles itself a Roman Catholic publication and is recognized as such, okay? So, uh, it's officially a, supposedly, a Catholic publication. Well, on November 20th of this year, they ran an article entitled, there is no God distinct from love, written by a certain uh, Brendan McCarty, described as a Christian brother from Dublin working in India for over 50 years. Well, India really does a number on you, apparently, because that article is loaded with heresy. In fact, it's so bad, it's apostasy. It's a complete renunciation of the Catholic religion. Now, I'd have to read you the whole thing to give you the complete picture, but of course I can't do that because of copyright. 
but the link is in the show notes so you can uh, read it for yourself. And no, I don't think it would be dangerous for you to do so because it is so off-the-wall crazy uh, that I don't think it presents any real danger. For example, the author writes, quote, In the end, everything is natural. The implications of this revelation are unending. The first and most obvious is that nothing is supernatural. And the meaning of that is that there is no God. Whoops, I'm not a lawyer, but a possible interpretation of that sentence then is that there could be a God, but that that God is natural, unquote. That this is just the beginning, okay? The author is a wicked apostate, and he's also a blasphemer. A little further on, he says, and I'm skipping around here a bit to make this easier to understand, it's all in the text. He says, quote, so God, and he puts God in quotes, so God became an expression, a vague focal point for prayer, and somehow associated with such mysteries as eternity, heaven, hell, and all the omnis, omniscience, omnipotence, and so on, that God, by this time, morphed into a person up there somewhere and omni-everything, with a special son and a special mother and miraculous human divine qualities and a barrel full of features, supported by ancient manuscripts variously interpreted and vouched for, was a totally new universe that people have increasingly departed from." Unquote. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to stop here because I'm getting angry and no one needs to hear any more of this trash. This is a perfect example of classical modernism. And modernism is apostasy. And again, this article is printed in a supposedly Roman Catholic newspaper. Now, Francis, of course, isn't concerned about that kind of stuff. Oh, no, that's just theology, philosophy, who cares? Right? No, he's interested in, uh, for example, in media ecology. What, you didn't hear about that? Here, from Vatican News, October 3rd, 2020. Pope Francis sends a message to the new newspaper Blue and Green, highlighting the importance of a media ecology to serve the common good through media. Do you want to hear some details? No, of course you don't, but... Here they are anyway. Vatican News writes, quote, Pope Francis expresses his desire for quality journalism, which is always respectful of the dignity of people, starting with those who suffer the most, and which encourages new ways of understanding the economy and progress, fighting every marginalization, proposing models of coexistence based on altruism and reconnection with the natural habitat, towards a renewed model of human, economic, social, and political development. Fair and sustainable lifestyles, environmental protection, sufficient food and water for all, says Pope Francis, are the basis on which to build a healthy, prosperous, and supportive future for the whole of humanity, unquote. Did you notice what's missing? There's no reference to God or the supernatural. It's simply not on his radar when he talks about humanity as a whole. He's always concerned about the temporal world and every social problem, 
And yet, on December 5th, he had the gall to tweet the following. Quote, If we are awaited in heaven, why should we be caught up with earthly concerns? Unquote. Yeah, well, look who's talking. The guy who just published the encyclical Fratelli Tutti on how to make the world a better place by means of Masonic fraternity who published the encyclical Laudato Si on caring for the environment, who wrote the exhortation Carita Amazonia after convening a three-week synod on the Amazon region. That guy. You know, if hypocrisy made people fat, you'd need a bicycle to get around Francis. You know what? Let's take a quick break. Just a few minutes, and when we come back, we'll have a lot more to cover. Don't go anywhere. Cast. Ignore this podcast at your own risk. Tratcast is a production of NovusOrtoWatch.org. We watch the Vatican II Church so you don't have to. Go to NovusOrtoWatch.org, NovusOrtoWatch.org and see for yourself that the Vatican II Church is not, in fact, the Catholic Church of the Ages. you are enjoying the sample of the motet Felix Nanquies from the album Sacred Choral Music by Nicholas Wilton, sung by the acclaimed English choir Magnificat. If you appreciate such sacred choral music, please support the traditional Catholic composer Nicholas Wilton by buying a copy of his CD or purchasing downloads of individual tracks from fourmarksmusic.com. That is F-O-U-R-M-A-R-K-S-M-U-S-I-C.com or his website catholicmusic.co.uk. There is more information and also a new CD of his piano music available on those websites. for EWTN. This ain't it. Trapcast. See, that wasn't too bad. And here we are back again with lots more Tratcast, where we are not more Catholic than the Pope, only more Catholic than the anti-Pope.
October 2nd, 2020, the semi-trad website The Remnant published a blog post by Jason Morgan entitled Pope Refuses to Meet with Trump's Pro-Life Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo. And in it, the author says this, quote, It is time to recognize reality and adjust policy accordingly. New Church, the faux Catholic Church headed by Pope Francis, is not a religious organization at all. It is a globalist super PAC and a front operation for the PRC, unquote. Uh, by PRC, he presumably means the People's Republic of China. So Jason Morgan just stated that Francis heads a fake Catholic church, not the real one, a fake church that is not a religious organization even. On the Remnant website, he said that. Note well, ladies and gentlemen, note well, because when people then begin to leave that fake Catholic church with its fake pope, the Remnant's editor, Michael Matt, will give them a tongue-lashing because he will then claim that they're leaving the real Catholic Church. Remember this? St. Athanasius, obviously, he didn't give up on the church when it was in control of the Arians, and neither are we going to give up on the church now when it's in the control of the modernists. We don't get to give up just because it's really, really bad right now. Or how about this? So we're not at all ready to leave the church. We don't even for a second think this is the end. This is ecclesiological split personality disorder. And the scary part is that these people have for decades presumed to tell the world what constitutes genuine traditional Catholicism. This is madness. Figure it out already. Is the organization headed by Jorge Bergoglio the Catholic Church or not? And if it is, why are you making fun of it? And if it isn't, why are you accepting him as Pope? And if you really can't figure it out, then at least get the heck out of the way and stop trying to publish a Catholic newspaper. Unbelievable. And no, don't give me that, that human element thing, as Matt likes to do. You see, the modern church has betrayed and abandoned us all. And again, I'm talking about the human element, not the divine element. Nuh-uh. Jason Morgan said nothing about the human element of the church. He said that it's a fake church and not a religious organization at all. Now, I don't know what kind of divine element would be left in something that is not even a religious organization. The Son of God didn't establish a non-religious organization. He founded a church, one holy, catholic, and apostolic. But this is typical for the remnant, and we already uh, touched on this in the first segment. Right? Tell people all the time that the Vatican II Church is a false church with a new religion, but when people then draw the logical conclusion from it and figure that maybe the Marxist leader of that fake church isn't actually the vicar of Christ, and that perhaps it's a good idea to get the heck out of that false church, then switch into lamentation mode and tell your readers how dare they leave the Catholic Church and they're abandoning the mystical body of Christ. So the remnant will custom-tailor their message according to the needs of the moment. If the target is Francis and his cabal of modernists, masons, and communists, then it's no holds barred, anything goes. But when they then argue against Sedevacantism, then suddenly Club Regolio becomes the Catholic Church again that we're not allowed to abandon. Now there's something else that Morgan says in his article that underscores my point. 
Listen to this. He writes, quote, Pope Francis, for his part, is arguably an atheist, unquote. Yeah, he really wrote that. And I find that adverb interesting. Arguably. Because they've never said that Sedevacantism is arguably true. They've never said that Francis is arguably not the Pope. Oh no, those things aren't arguable in their world. That Bergoglio is an atheist? Now that they're willing to grant, perhaps. But not that he isn't the Pope. Can you understand now why we Sedevacantists lose our patience with these people on occasion? The most frustrating thing about this is that they are the ones that, in the eyes of the world, constitute Catholic traditionalism. They are considered the big corrective, right? The orthodox corrective to Bergoglio, the real Catholics. That is frightening. Okay, next, I would like to turn your attention to a clip from Raymond Arroyo's TV show, The World Over, on EWTN. In the September 10th, 2020 broadcast, Arroyo interviewed Cardinal Gerhard Ludwig Müller, the uh, former Vatican's uh, chief doctrinal officer, right, the guardian of orthodoxy. And uh, Müller said something mighty strange. Take a listen. The first commandment, or the first uh, one of the most important commandments in the Decalogue is the, uh, the respect for the life of every body. Honestly, I have no idea what to do with that. That man must know that the first commandment is, Thou shalt not have strange gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. So, whatever. Okay, I don't know why he would say what he said. It makes no sense. And no, I'm not alleging any malice behind it. This is just weird. And uh, I wanted to share that. So no further comments on that. And uh, by the way, I want to apologize here because I realize this is all quite disjointed. Okay, we're jumping from one thing to another and there's just no coherent theme here. Um, but considering that the last two Trapcasts, um, episodes 27 and 28, were dedicated to taking apart Taylor Marshall's book Infiltration, a lot of different news stories and things were just piling up in the meantime, and I didn't want to just let them all go. All right, so that's why we're kind of catching up here. All right, here's an interesting one from August 27th, 2020. Writing for the semi-trad newspaper Catholic Family News, Micah Hickson reported on a tweet by Armin Schwiebach, a philosophy professor working as a correspondent for an Austrian Novosordo news site, which uh, stated the following, quote, As a cardinal recently stated, Archbishop Lefebvre will one day be recognized as a doctor of the church, unquote. Now, Schwiebach did not identify the Novus Ordo Cardinal, but uh, we can easily grant that one of them said that. And for those who don't know who Archbishop uh, Marcel Lefebvre was, he was a recognized and resist traditionalist uh, pioneer who founded the Society of St. Pius X in 1970 and consecrated four bishops against the express uh, prohibition by John Paul II, 
whom he acknowledged as Pope. And for that, he was later declared to be in schism and excommunicated uh, by the Novus Ordo Church. And uh, Lefebvre uh, died in that state in uh, 1991. Now, I don't even care to say much about the content of that claim, right? That, that one day he will be declared a doctor of the church, which is frankly ridiculous, okay? And I mean that with all due respect for Archbishop Lefebvre, who at least did something in face of the apostasy brought about by Vatican II, all right? Um, but a doctor of the church, that is a very high standard to meet, okay? And there aren't that many in the Catholic Church. After roughly 1,900 years, only 29 individuals, 29 saints, were declared to be doctors of the church. And uh, the Catholic Encyclopedia says uh, about the title doctor of the church, quote, certain ecclesiastical writers have received this title on account of the great advantage the whole church has derived from their doctrine, unquote. Now, before his retirement in 1968, Archbishop Lefebvre had been a missionary bishop for the Holy Ghost Fathers and uh, also their superior general. And to my knowledge, at least, he didn't write a whole lot in terms of uh, sacred theology. Okay? He didn't write any significant theological treatises. And that's not a criticism, it's just an observation. But contrast that with uh, great doctors of the church like St. Saint, Saint Augustine, St. Saint Thomas Aquinas, uh, St. Anselm, St. John Chrysostom, and so forth, who had composed tomes of theological writings. But anyway, my point in bringing this up, this, this claim that Archbishop Lefebvre will one day be a doctor of the church, m my point is that by their own logic— their own recognize and resist logic, it wouldn't matter if he's ever declared a doctor of the church because the church that would give him that title is the same church that canonized John Paul II, the man who declared the SSPX to be in schism. And uh, also Paul VI, right? They canonized him too. The man who wrecked the Mass and the other sacraments and gave us the Novus Ordo religion as we know it. Do these people not understand that? Do they not realize that if that modernist sect were indeed the Catholic Church, then it would be over? Okay, it, it wouldn't matter if Lefebvre will one day be a doctor of the Church, because it would mean nothing anymore. Anyone can become a doctor in the Vatican II Church, and I would bet that John Paul II, by the way, will be declared one long before Archbishop Lefebvre will. But, so, that's just, I, I find that so odd. Like, oh, well, one day Archbishop Lefebvre will be a doctor of the Church. Don't worry, folks. One day he'll be vindicated. It wouldn't matter. It would be the same fake church that can declare people like Paul VI and John Paul II and John XXIII and Jose Maria Escriva and, and on and on can declare these people to be saints. So it, it really wouldn't mean anything. All right, let's move on to a story found on Crux on August 31st, 2020. 
Quote, the president of the Pontifical Academy for Life said Catholic groups need to use mercy and compassion in anti-abortion campaigns as they seek to transform those who do not support the rights of unborn children, unquote. Let me just make a rather brief comment here. A merciful and compassionate approach is always invoked only when it comes to issues such as abortion or dealing with sexual immorality. Have you noticed that? Somehow it would never occur to these Vatican modernists to recommend that people try to use compassion and mercy when it comes to converting racists or those who pollute the environment or people who build walls. I find that amazing. And of course, I'm not saying that we should be racists or trash the environment. I'm just pointing out the double standard. Why is it that when it comes to slaughtering children in most barbaric fashion in the womb, then we have to be all compassionate and sensitive and whatnot? And how come that approach isn't extended to those who are in favor of the death penalty, for example? Which, by the way, is called an act of paramount obedience to the Fifth Commandment in the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Next, let's go back to Francis for a minute. A great headline found on Vatican News on September 3, 2020, was this. Pope Francis, conversion of humanity necessary to heal the earth. Now, you know where I'm going with this. Right? No need for extensive commentary. The false pope is once again insisting that all people convert, just not to Catholicism. No, 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 no. That is optional because your religious freedom and liberty of conscience and culture of encounter and all that. But when it comes to his ideas about how to take care of the planet that we all know will eventually be destroyed by God anyway, then everyone must follow suit. So it's a matter of the eternal salvation or damnation of souls, and that he's pretty much indifferent on, versus being good to the environment, which is an absolute necessity for him. That man is simply not a Catholic. Okay? And that fact explains it all. You know what? I've got more Bergoglio stories here, so we might as well stay on the topic. Um, as we've said before, Francis likes to take supernatural truth and reduce it to the natural level. And a perfect example of that can be seen in his tweet of September 15th of this year. That is the Feast of the Sorrowful Mother, Our Lady of Sorrows. Here's what he said, quote, The sorrowful virgin whose pierced heart mourned the death of Jesus now grieves for the sufferings of the crucified poor and for the creatures of this world laid waste by human power, unquote. There you go. A perfect example. You know, he could have said that the sorrowful virgin mourns the many souls that are constantly rejecting God's grace and stubbornly remain in sin, and she lovingly calls them to true repentance and to the true faith which alone can give salvation. He could have said that, but no, it's always about man this and man that, the poor, the sick, the unemployed, the migrants, 
the marginalized. And now in this case, it was even the crucified poor. Now, of course, there is also a place for temporal concerns. Okay, I'm not saying we can neglect the poor or should not care about the sick. But temporal concerns are France's obsession. And because of his excessive emphasis on the mundane and the temporal, he continually distorts the essence of Catholicism, which is about salvation and eternity. God didn't become man so we would be nice to our neighbor. Christ didn't die on the cross so we would give alms or help the sick. See, no one needs a religion to practice works of charity. Atheists do that. Christ came to save us from an eternity of hell. And when does Francis ever mention hell? Oh, I can tell you when Francis suddenly discovers his belief in hell. And that is when he rails against the mafia, because then talk about hell is socially acceptable. Then it's politically correct. See, everyone agrees that the mafia are bad, right? There's still time to stay out of hell. Francis told members of the Mafia in 2014. And yes, we got that link in the show notes as well. Now, that's a good thing, of course, right? That, that he told them that, that he warned them that they're on their way to hell. But the hard truth is that hell is not just for criminals, okay? It's not just for barbaric people. Tragically, it's for a majority of people, probably a very large majority, when our blessed Lord was asked whether many people would be saved, he answered, Strive to enter by the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, shall seek to enter and shall not be able. That's uh, Luke 13.24. And also, Enter ye in at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there are who go in thereat. How narrow is the gate, and straight is the way that leadeth to life, and few there are that find it. And that's Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And these are very sobering words, especially for a world that is apostate, like ours. And it's not like all Catholics will be saved just for being Catholic. Far from it, probably. We have to pray for final perseverance. St. Paul himself said, For I am not conscious to myself of anything, yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 4, verse 4. But Francis makes it sound like the only people on their way to hell are the mafia. And no, he wasn't even talking about the homo mafia. For them, he probably has a compassionate in general, who am I to judge? And lastly, this past summer, the notorious Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio, which is basically a mecca for conservative Novus Ordos, released a video explaining its coronavirus policies for the fall semester, and that included what I guess was supposed to be a witty remark about how, if we're not careful, Christ himself might catch the virus as he is exposed in the Blessed Sacrament. Listen to this. Uh, again, wear masks. You know, Jesus is going to be exposed. We want to give him the COVID. 
Yeah, and he couldn't quite suppress a smirk on his face there. That was Father Sean Robertson, who, by the way, is the university chaplain there, the spiritual leader and pastor of the university community, as the official webpage notes. Such a comment just shows the irreverent, nonchalant way holy things, even our Lord himself, are treated in the Novus Ordo as a matter of course. Sickening. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will be it for today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't keep it a secret. You know how it is. Friends don't let friends be Novus Ordo. Have a blessed Christmas, everyone. Until next time, God bless you. Trap Cap.